Attention Greendale students and welcome to Streets Behind, a podcast about the TV show community. Hosted by two friends who met on campus but couldn't hang out during the pandemic. So we started this podcast to stay connected. And together we come up with so many insights about the show and the characters that we never would have thought of on our own. We know it's not perfect, but if it was, it wouldn't be Greendale. So join us. You're already already accepted. accepted. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. What's up, everybody? You're listening to Streets Behind, our podcast dedicated to our beloved sitcom community. I am your host, Matthew Kroll. Can I do that again? No. Yes. <laughs> um, what's up, everybody? You're listening to Streets Behind. Fuck. All right. Here we go. <laughs> I'm sorry. I really want this is not a bit. I. <laughs> All right. I'm just going to go for it. What's up, everybody? This is Streets Behind, our podcast dedicated to our beloved sitcom community. And as always, we are your co-hosts. I am Matthew Kroll. And I'm Sandy Caldrone. And today, thank you for joining us. We are going to be discussing, analyzing, and debating, (laughs) maybe not so much, but a little bit of a play on words there. Uh, We're discussing episode nine, season one, episode nine, that is. It's called Debate 109. Uh, And Sandy, I will speak for myself, but I think maybe you agree here. Great episode. Lots of laugh out loud moments in this episode. Very funny episode, very well written, um, some interesting background stuff going on, uh, mm-hmm. some characters involved that haven't really been involved for either a couple of episodes or, you know, just, yeah, it's community. It's a community episode. People kind of come back in and on camera, like, for instance, Professor Whitman or whatever, mm-hmm. as the debate coach. Uh, real quick from you, just like, what's your sort of two-minute general hot take on on the episode because as I say I think we both love it but just uh yeah elaborate on that what about this episode really worked for you just in in general stuff you know general terms before we get into it yeah so I think this one has and we'll talk about this when we talk about kind of like the major like plot lines in this episode they do a good job of having totally unrelated plot lines weave together in funny ways Mm. um and I appreciate that so it's another instance of just like a lot going on we get to see some uh, physical comedy out of Pierce, which I always enjoy watching Pierce fall down. Um, <laughs> and um, I think they also do a lot of like playing around with our expectations from sitcom storylines. And they have some fun with that, which I always appreciate too. Nice. I hadn't thought about that last part. So I'm curious to hear to hear you sort of elaborate that when we get into the episode. So to set the episode up, we'll you'll be aware if you listen to our pod, we usually frame our discussions in terms of three major plot points. And so the three major plot points that I think we can discuss for this particular episode, obviously number one is the debate between Greendale and City College. And then the subplot point of how that uh, is used to evolve the relationship or the interaction between Jeff and Annie, Mm -hmm. Um, but also a little bit of character development for both of them. Um, And again, it gets into Jeff's sort of uh, narcissism and be, you know, being willing to help a friend or help the school, uh, but only at um, benefit to him, which in this Mm -hmm. case, I believe is a parking (laughs) 
a parking yes, he, place. He's, <laughs> he's, he's doing this for the parking space. Um, yeah, his participation on the debate team was bought. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then the second plot point is that Britta has decided to stop smoking and she's struggling with it. It's making her irritable and agitated. So Pierce Hawthorne offers his skill as a hypnotherapist to help clear or to help cure, excuse me, to help cure Britta of, of her smoking addiction. And then the third plot point is an interesting and meta almost like meta meta sort of (laughs) point in that Abed is part of the film club uh, or maybe it's a film class. He makes all these videos. He posts them online to like the film classes website and a bunch of the stuff in his, in his little films are obviously about the Spanish group, but they've predicted things that will happen to the Spanish group. Mm -hmm. And so the Spanish group discovers these uh, the study group discovers these videos and is freaking out because you know the date that these videos are posted were often before these things actually happened like say Jeff living out of his car or something Mm -hmm. like that so it that really comes down to Abed being a student of human character so why I say it's meta meta is because you've got Abed making videos with other Greendale students about the Spanish group that we are able to watch (laughs) through the perspective (laughs) of the of the study group watching these videos and freaking out. Yeah. And it goes to the meta, like that we usually talk about meta level of this show being very self-aware and self-conscious and uh, Abed always sort of breaking that fourth wall, if you will. And always sort of being like without sometimes saying it um, or sorry, I should say without saying it explicitly, but sometimes making TV references or references to real world pop culture but without necessarily explicitly saying that we are watching the television show community, there's that whole meta thing of like, yeah, but this is a television show. And it's a television show that's very aware. It's a television show and is very aware of pop culture. And you could, I think, make an argument that Abed knows he's in a television show. Yes. Yes. That's no, it's that. So that's interesting. Do, can we just jump in on this level on, or yeah, on this yeah. plot point? Cause I also think it makes sense to work in reverse order and end with the debate since that's kind of the big, the big, that does make sense. Yeah. I'm on board. And it'll, and it'll, um, you know, lend us into other conversations that I know we wanted to talk about. So to your point just there, that's why it's hard for me to articulate this, but I guess what I'm thinking is Abed will make explicit explicit references and other characters to real world pop culture things, Mm -hmm. television shows, you know, historic or even like historical events, but you know, the pop culture stuff, it's real television shows, movies, music, you know, whatever it is. And so you get that sort of pointing out to the real world from the show. And yeah, then, and that's one of the things that makes it feel realistic is because in our normal human conversations, of course, we relate pop culture to all sorts of experiences where we have, you know, in our everyday life. And these characters do that, too. And they have the same kind of frame of reference that we have. Um, but most other, you know, fictionalized shows, characters just never remark upon pop culture at all. It, they don't watch TV. They don't go to movies. Like, it's just not part of their lives, which is so different from us. They never brush their teeth, which always pisses me <laughs> off. Um, no, but it's true. And I know you and I have talked about this. One of the things we love about the show. So you and I are like of the same generation and the writers and creators of the show and some of the actors, like 
it we relate to this show because they're often referencing stuff from the 80s and 90s -hmm. or like the homages to the john hughes films we've talked about so like we're already relating to that pop culture reference or that Mm -hmm. scheme of references this show employs um but to your point also you know 30 rock does that uh, um arrested development it's a more i think recent phenomenon where Mm -hmm. a show will say well look (laughs) <laughs> like you know or they'll say something like this isn't a movie you know, or whatever <laughs> like you know uh, life isn't a tv show but as you were saying earlier there's an argument to be made that not only does abed somehow know he's in a tv show but that for him his life is kind of like a tv show or that's how he processes it mm-hmm. so with this part of the plot him making these films that's why I say it's like this weird meta meta thing and i'm sorry or there's parallel meta tracks and and i guess like (laughs) like i said there's the abed that makes the explicit references to Mm -hmm. pop culture stuff in the real world that people of our generation especially can immediately be like oh yeah i know that show or i know that Mm -hmm. whatever but he doesn't ever as far as i remember and at least up to this point of the show episode nine he doesn't I mean, they don't ever make an explicit reference to us watching a TV show. Hmm. So, but Abed does, he has already referenced the fact that like life feels like TV. Like he says, like he's going to lay low on something for an episode. Like, yes. You get that, but not the, the audience hasn't been brought into the discussion at this point. Yes, exactly. That's what I mean. So it's not like anybody's ever looked at the camera and winked and been like, but you know, you're watching a TV show, <laughs> wink, wink. Um, but there's all that met- yeah, like Abed being like, oh, we kind of leaned on that heavily last week. So mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, yeah, there's all this, that meta stuff. But then you get that other level of meta where they're watching themselves play out mm-hmm. these scenarios that end up coming true. Um, and so I, I just, I thought that was like especially because it wasn't really the primary plot vehicle i think mm-hmm. um i found it really interesting really rich and to your point they they weave it in very well and to do mm-hmm. some foreshadowing one of the plot points that gets weaved into the show is when they're all at this final debate this championship one of the things that abed predicts which is that jeff and annie will ha- will kiss mm-hmm that ends up becoming part of the of the final debate scene. And um, because it was suggested to them. Like it's a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, yeah. That's right. I forgot because they're studying and there's already some like hilarious, like sexually wrought chemistry between them. And Shirley comes in and says like, oh, be careful. You two Abed's movie said you were going to kiss or whatever. So you're right. I hadn't thought about that. That plants the seed for sure. Man, that's so good because I hadn't thought about that. You're absolutely right. In a way they've been, yeah, this seed has been in there or whatever has been planted. Um, Which by the way, we can talk about that again later, but that scene when they're studying. (laughs) They're studying <laughs> like the way they play, like the like the awkward like glances where they're just kind of staring at each other and they're just like teetering on the edge of like one of those like dramatic like sweeping all of the stuff off the study <laughs> table and going for it right there is like just so hilarious because yeah. That's one of the things, like I mentioned, they do a lot of playing with your expectations in this episode. And that's one of the main things is like, you can totally see the formula for writing a study episode where like friends have chemistry and 
that yes. what I like about community is that they're like, okay, let's do it, but let's, let's have fun with that. But then let's also have fun taking it apart and mocking it at the same time. I, you're so right. Like how many like seventh heaven 90210 Dawson's <laughs> Creek episodes, my so-called life, did somebody make out or whatever, or, you know, make out, hook up or become a couple because of like a study sesh. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. I hadn't thought about that. Oh, that's amazing. Um, oh, there's so much to say about that. But patience, <laughs> patience, Kroll. We got to get there. But so one of the things that I think is really interesting in this whole thing with Abed's videos is, you know, the study group accuses him of being like a witch or a wizard <laughs> or otherwise like supernaturally or preternaturally, you know, prescient or aware. And Abed just, I thought his response is interesting. He effectively says, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not like a witch. It's just that I'm a, I study human character. Mm -hmm. And I think this also speaks to his love of film and television is mm -hmm. because he's seen so many TV shows and how characters develop in a TV show. And that's another meta aspect to this, that in mm -hmm. a way it's like, and it goes to your point about playing with or breaking or challenging our expectations. He's just saying, yeah, look, some of this stuff, I know how it's going to go because I've seen this all before, whether <laughs> in the real world or in a sitcom, I know what's going to happen here. Mm -hmm. Like, and so that, you know, in a way he's like, yeah, obviously Jeff and Annie are going to kiss because it's the people get together to study episode and like right. win it a trophy to together. It has to happen. Everyone knows if you study with someone and then go win a trophy together, you're going to kiss in front of <laughs> hundreds of people. Like, you know what I mean? Like anyway, but so I really thought that that was interesting. His sort of, and also it's the way he delivers it. Danny Cudi, I guess, delivers it. He's so calm. He's just like, no, like, uh, there's nothing weird about this. <laughs> I just know how to read people. And in a way, he's kind of saying, yeah, maybe I'm the weird, like, spectrum-y one who's, like, you know, not in touch with his emotions, but I'm a hell of a lot better at reading everybody else in the room than any of you are because I observe other people. You guys don't pay attention to other people. You pay attention to yourselves, but I pay attention to other people. Um, right. Like Abed isn't distracted by his emotional response to what's going on. He's just like yes. soaking in all the information. It, well, exactly. And not only, I love the way you phrase that, because not only is he not concerned with his emotional response, but he's also not concerned with other people's responses to him. Mm, um, yeah. or how that might affect maybe that's he's not worried about part it. and parcel yeah how that might affect his emotional response he he Abed just he is who he is and he reacts the way he reacts mm -hmm. and sometimes and as the show goes on we will see moments where he lacks a healthy EQ like emotional you know mm -hmm. emotional intelligence or whatever um which he's also aware of about himself yes. but in this <laughs> yeah. instance I do think there's like a real personalization here and a real like yeah there's there's a warmth to it and you I don't know somehow gain like a or I did anyway a deeper appreciation for Abed and again a lot of it was mm -hmm. just the delivery his being like again you know yeah it's not there's nothing magic to this I just pay mm -hmm. attention and 
Like people are people, human nature is human nature. And whether I've learned that from watching TV or just watching people, like I can tell you how some of these things are going to go. I thought that was really well done. And in a way that personalized it, because one of the things that does bother me with the show, especially as the seasons go on, is that sometimes Abed is seen as like just being, I think they portray him as just smarter than everybody else in the room Mm. because he can read character and he like isn't, you know, He's like got this sort of Zen thing where he's not like affected by emotions or whatever. And I think they lean on that a little heavily at times as the show goes on. And maybe that's partly Abed is like a vehicle for Dan Harmon (laughs) expressing himself or whatever. (laughs) But in this episode, I just thought it was really well handled. And that's, I guess, all I have on that. The only other thing I'll add is that um, I liked that they had this part of the story unfold because Shirley discovered it, which was more interesting for the audience to have it that way instead of it just being presented. But it also indicates that like, Abed was fine just keeping this important part of himself completely secret from his best friends oh it's a great point i hadn't thought about that that's true but also that's I, you know he's just so unbothered when he walks into the room and they tell him and he's just like oh yeah you well, guys saw, saw the this video. coming yeah, yeah exactly he's just like yeah eventually they'd find out but i wasn't going to share it with you that's true i hadn't thought about that i also thought it allowed for some great interplay between abed and shirley like shirley you know yes. calling him you know like a wizard Surely the witch hunter yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah exactly um but also you know he says when he's like you know i know you're really religious oh that's nice and he like parrots what she's gonna say but um i wrote it down he also says you have thinly veiled rage issues yeah like, they both say, watch it boy or whatever and it just goes back to the whole like surely putting somebody's head through a jukebox mm-hmm. thing or at least her commenting on that whether or not it was her we um, love a reference to shirley's rage problem yeah yeah yeah. it's just a, a really good way of i thought weaving that in um i was a little uncomfortable comfortable when later she referred to him as a middle eastern psychic eight ball um i thought the eight ball reference was great because you know we grew up in a time when everybody had a magic eight ball but yeah how is that a toy (laughs) we won't go down this road but oh (laughs) that is a rabbit hole of it so what the hell and what was that blue liquid that couldn't have been healthy if that thing cracked that couldn't have been good for your skin um But yeah, so, and then the other thing that I wanted to mention with the interplay with Shirley and Abed is when they're somewhere in the library, like in a study cubicle, and she basically calls him out and he shows her that video where it's like, yeah, Jeff and Annie are going to kiss and you're going to get chased by a werewolf. (laughs) We'll bracket the Shirley getting chased by a werewolf for a future date. But let's just say... Well, some interesting Halloween stuff happens in future Halloween episodes, Mm -hmm. um, which hopefully we'll remember when we get to those to to bring some of this back. But um, one, it just a reminds me of like the thriller video, which I thought was partly what was happening there. And then secondly, obviously, eventually Jeff and, and Annie do share a kiss. So it was an interesting way for Abed to be like, yeah, like, you know, I'm not prescient and her sort of realizing like, oh, you're just an idiot, maybe because like, <laughs> I'm not going to get chased by a werewolf. And like, this isn't going to, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, Jeff and Annie aren't going to kiss or whatever. Anything else on that before we go to uh, Pierce Hawthorne? 
hypnotherapist? No, yeah, let's take a visit to Pierce's hypnotherapy clinic. You want you want to you want to take this one, uh, set this one up. <laughs> I love how they set this up at the beginning of the episode because they they bring it into the conversation because Britta is so angry <laughs> at the world while she's trying to stop smoking that she becomes really articulate and hateful and funny when it comes to making fun of Jess. <laughs> Um, I think I I can't remember. You probably remember what it was that prompted her response. But at some point she tells Jeff, she's going to smack that smug look off his pointy face. (laughs) He does have a pointy face. That's the thing. Jeff gets rocked on a couple times about his look because Dean Pelton or, um, Professor Whitman later says, I see you as a younger version of myself, but was slightly something about his own hair professor whitman's being better yeah so he says something to jeff i guess he was a younger version of myself but with like yeah not as good a hair or whatever um but yeah so effectively everything that is happening particularly with pierce britta is just like very impatient with and is just like scolding him and so jeff basically steps in just to be like you know, relax. Like you're really like laying it on, on Pierce. And then to which point she says, yeah, (laughs) yeah, the smug look off your pointy face, which is such a good line because he does, Joel McHale does have a pointy kind of like (laughs) angular face and he often has a smug look, um, both in real life (laughs) and as Jeff Winger. So, uh, yeah, that was great. So, um, the other thing I wanted to mention with (laughs) Britta is that at, at one point, we come, the audience comes in at the end of her having made fun of Troy during her struggles to <laughs> contain her, her smokeless rage. Um, and Troy is just saying, like, she's trying to apologize, and he's like, No, you can't unring that bell. My feet are long and stupid. It's so good because they walk in in the like it's right it's when Shirley's going to talk to Abed in the library and yeah it's just like a walkthrough but yeah my feet are <laughs> my feet are long and stupid so I love that you this can't is how they kind of that bell. they set up the problem in this great way that get, gives Britta the opportunity to make really funny really bizarre insults to other and characters that. She would normally never do. (laughs) And very physical. It's about their physical appearance, which makes her so cruel and petty, you know? And But it's just such a great way to be like, you ever known somebody who was trying to stop smoking? It's hard. (laughs) Yeah. And they can be a real asshole. You know, I just, I thought it was, I thought it was great in that way. And Um, I think it's, it's great how it sets it up for, we need to get her into a place where she would accept Pierce's help. Like she needs to be desperate to accept help from Pierce. Um, And that is, she recognizes that about her situation and says like, yes, I will try literally anything, including hypnosis from Pierce. That's the crux of this part of the plot. The group, and I love the way they encourage her to go back to smoking. (laughs) I think Jeff tells her to go back to smoking and and like Annie's like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) like just kind of doing the silent, like, yeah, because you're being a real bitch or whatever. And then Shirley's like, uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> she's like, oh, it's healthy. It's great for your skin. It helps you like, <laughs> you know, she just helps you lose weight or whatever. I mean, like all the old, like, you know, 1950s, like here's what smoking can do for you. And a very Greendale approach to a problem. It's like, well, maybe we're not capable of doing this. Yeah. Let's just go back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. We don't trust ourselves to fix this. So let's, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. So let's just, yeah, not try to like, you know, fix this problem. But so Pierce steps in and says, have you ever tried hypnotherapy? I know somebody. And, <laughs> and then he refers to himself in the third person as Pierce Hawthorne, but then shifts right back to the I, the first person. I mean, it's, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny, Chevy Chase. But um, as you then come to find out, because as he has her lying on a couch in like the band practice room, mm -hmm. as he's sitting in an armchair, he's reading from a book called Basic Hypnotherapy or something like <laughs> yeah. that, which I mean, you already knew this guy's not like a licensed hypnotherapist. No, he probably got it from the Greendale Library. <laughs> right before his meeting with Britta. Yeah, because they um, would also have a book titled basic hypnotherapy in their they, library they definitely would which now makes me think maybe that's something i should try and find this summer a book about basic hypnotherapy <laughs> just to see what it reads like um but so to your point britta is like so at her wits end that she's willing to accept and she basically says as much she's willing to accept pierce's help mm -hmm. but so the interaction between pierce and britta is basically Pierce trying his best to actually do hypnotherapy, mm -hmm. not being able to put Britta under, but Britta is like, doesn't want to hurt his feelings. So mm -hmm. she's pretending to go along with it. And that creates a conflict because later in the episode, I think their second scene of them being together, like in a hypnotherapy session, he realizes she's not under Mm -hmm. And so he starts to say all this stuff about the next time you want a cigarette, like, you know, being in a threesome with him and one of her friends in like a hot tub or whatever. So he takes it to this bizarro, but intentionally in this sense, it's not just Pierce being like Pierce. In this sense, he's trying to like piss her off so he can yeah. call her out on not actually being under and, you know, effectively like having, you know, pitying this old man. Yes. Yeah. And so, as it turns out, when the tension in the debate gets too high and Britta sneaks out for a cigarette, <laughs> what does she think of? But being in a threesome with Pierce and someone else in his hot tub. <laughs> and so it makes her sick to her stomach and she gets cured from the smoking. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, she hit kind of rock bottom hopelessness. Pierce kind of dug a sub basement under that rock bottom, but it was gross enough that it worked. <laughs> I love it. The sub basement. No, that's exactly it. But I also thought this brings up some character stuff that's important to the show. Britta often is the sympathizer and the yes. person who really is like there to listen and in a way like really try to make friends, to make friends with the other characters. So for instance, if you think about the um, statistics episode where she's like listening to Shirley when Shirley's trying to flood um, 
Professor Slater's office or whatever, mm-hmm. and she, and you know, and she's just standing there in her squ- it's the Halloween episode, standing there in her, in her squirrel outfit, holding like the big acorn, and you know, Shirley's <laughs> like, Britta, I, I have something to confess or whatever. You know, Britta's really good at just like trying to connect with the other characters, yes. and this was another moment of her trying to actually in a sense, entertain Pierce, but also validate him. Like, it's her attempt to be like, no, you think you can help? I'm, and yes, I'm at my wit's end. I'll do anything right now for help. But also, in a sense, it implies that she trusts him enough to think that he may be capable of helping her in some way. And in a weird sort of way, she ends up being right, though it's all, you know, by accident or happenstance. And I really like Pierce's counterpoint to that which is don't pity me yes like if if we're going to be friends let's be friends but i don't want your pity and i think that that comes up at other characters and other points of the show where they're trying to kind of navigate support but also kind of like realistic kind of challenging of each other Um, and they struggle with that just like anybody would no, that's a great point. That's one of that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this is it's another moment where Pierce says, I know I'm like the old guy or whatever. He has some bit where he's like, my fashion sense may cause envy. He's kind of like <laughs> calling himself out when he realizes that Brit is, you know, just appeasing him by pretending mm-hmm. she's like going under in his hypnotherapy or whatever. But I do think that's important to his development because this ha- this has happened in previous episodes. It'll happen many times after this. As you mm-hmm. say, that idea of the group trying to navigate particularly with Pierce where to be critical of his prejudices and his just Mm -hmm. like old man out of touchness and where he can push back and say, but you guys automatically treat me as the old man. Mm -hmm. And I do think that's interesting, especially now, because I mean, I'll just go ahead and say it as look, we're on a university campus. I teach a class in which I'm twice as old as most of the people in there. I definitely see an ageism in my students Hmm. that I think is different than I feel like our generation. There's definitely an ageism and a lot of it just has to do with technology and particularly phones and smart, like, oh, you don't know this app. You don't know that, you know, like mm-hmm. there is sort of an ageism, I think sometimes, and I'm not making a universal or ap- absolute statement about Gen Z, but I do think a lot of younger people because of their connection to technology and with each other and their generational sort of dominance of like app pop culture, mm-hmm. memes, social media whatever it is um there's and i tell my students this all the time i'm like if anybody over than 28 offers opinions you guys just (laughs) obliterate them just for being old and and i again i don't mean this to like upset anybody or offend anybody i don't think this is like an absolute or general statement but i do think there's an ageism that's definitely different than in previous generations and again with community it is and it parallels with Abed's like prescient um, understanding or preternatural ability to read human character. Mm-hmm. This show was ahead of its time because I really think that's a genuine thing um, with our current society. That's maybe like a big topic for a separate, you know, <laughs> podcast. But to bring it to the show, Pierce deals with that a lot and the characters deal with that a lot. And I think mm-hmm. it's interesting that this is another instance of him saying, you guys sort of just assume I'm going to be the awkward, like prejudiced old man. You guys automatically assume that's where things go. So you sort of write me off. And I did think that was an interesting dynamic in this plot point. Yes, for sure. 
Um, oh, and we can't forget to just mention, I mean, it's hard to talk about physical comedy on a podcast when you can't see it, but when they're doing the, the hypnotherapy sessions, Pierce has one of his amazing uh, falls where he just tumbles over a whole bunch of musical equipment in a very loud and protracted way. And Britta is pretending right. to hypnotize, so she can't help him. And it's just one of those wonderful Pierce moments. There's a moment in the first scene when she's like, what are you going to do? Like wave a watch in front of my face and like, what, you know, to, and, he, and he has a watch and he goes, no, yeah. I was just checking the time. And then he goes to <laughs> set the watch down, I guess on the armchair, but he misses it and it lands on the snare drum and you hear a little from the snare drum. <laughs> yeah. And then um, he gets up and he steps in a drum and he falls and yes, it like messes so his good. knee up and he's just, and, and, you know. Yeah, this was I think the I think this was the scene you were talking about later. So he steps in this drum and he's like kind of crashing through all these instruments and drums and you know, Brit is pretending to be under and he's like he's just like um damn my genius or, or something <laughs> like that. Um but yeah, basically he's saying like uh you know, one of those pierced moments where you know, at this point maybe he thinks what he's doing is working and he's just like oh if only Britta could wake up and and help right. me or whatever um but no those were and then later he's wearing a uh like a leg brace which abed had predicted mm -hmm. in one of his films and even just him walking around with the leg brace like over his jeans just yes. looks funny um it's a yeah it is it's, it's it's just always with his with chevy chase's um physical comedy it's it's not to be missed so I guess the third thing we were going to talk about, and this is kind of a big issue, but the debate. So yeah, yeah the episode starts with the Dean making a morning message about the debate team competition against city college and question for you. And I, I didn't go back and look this up. Is that the first mention of city college? I think it is. So I think it is too. I would, if, if anybody knows otherwise, let us know. But um, I think this is, the first mention of City College. Yeah, their big which, rival. Which is only going to become juicier and juicier, like as the as the you know seasons go on. Like it gets how, truly weird. It gets hilarious, bizarre, weird. Yeah, but the city, but City College emerges, and so Annie's debate partner. I can't remember the reason, but can't participate. So she tries to, with Dean Pelton and Professor Whitman, who comes back to this episode because he's the debate team coach. Of course he is. Of course yeah. he is. They uh, try to track or they try to convince Jeff since he is a lawyer and would, you know, you would think in some sense have a real world debate experience to join the team, to be Annie's partner for this. And, and Jeff is very upfront in saying that, like, that's not a motivation for me. Yeah. I don't it, need to help Annie because she's my friend. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is one of the like sort of character developments here, or at least, you know, examinations of his character. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Great line. They stop him in the hallway and Dean Pelton says, listen, jerkwad. And then immediately goes, I'm sorry, that got heated. <laughs> I love that he only called him a jerkwad. Listen, jerkwad, I'm sorry, that got heated. But he also <laughs> then goes on to say, Greendale needs a win. The best compliment our sports program gets is that our basketball team is really gay. Yeah. <laughs> and then as it turns out, that is a very gay basketball team. I don't mean to offend anybody, but they come in a scene later. And I mean, 
that would be the one way you could describe it. And I, again, I don't mean to be insensitive, but and maybe this is something we should talk about with how with how they handled it on the show. But later, when the debate gets interrupted because the basketball team scheduled the gymnasium mm-hmm. for practice, I mean, if you hear some of the things being said in the background by the team and the way they're dressed, I mean, let's let's yep. just say the writers. They leaned in on that joke and we'll, and, and I'll leave it there. Um, what I like about that, though, is that um, it clearly wasn't a compliment, but that's how Greendale took it. Yeah. You know, they decided to take that as a compliment. And I think the dean is sincere <laughs> and that just Rick really encapsulates Greendale for me. And so I really love that moment. No, it is a great I didn't even thought about that. It's that. Yeah, the best compliment we get is this. And it's like, is that really a compliment? You're right. I hadn't thought about that now that you say it. And also, let me just clarify what I'm saying. I don't mean that to offend anyone by saying the basketball team is really gay. What I mean is the writers and the way they set it up completely leaned in on that joke in a way where they took like every stereotype of gay men they could and threw it into that scene as it's (laughs) happening in the background. Um, Yeah, they take it to a completely absurd place, which is different than just making a joke about it. That's true. That's true. In fact, they and and maybe that's part of their commentary is that it just becomes so absurd. Well, the only way they could pull off that joke of Dean Pelton's or make it land was to take it to this absurd level. So you would see Mm -hmm. what they mean by that, I guess, if that makes sense. So Jeff gets enlisted ultimately, though. There's some bargaining. And what does he decide to become Annie's partner for? It's because they offer him a parking spot. <laughs> but Dean Pelton also leans in and says something like an evening of like whatever, uh, you know, companionship. If yeah, you know we what start I mean. to get some weirdness from the Dean. Yeah, towards Jeff. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, you know, like an, an evening of companionship, if you know what I mean. Jeff says, I'll do it for the parking spot. And if you promise to never tell me what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, as as we go on through this series, we'll have plenty of stuff to talk about in relation to uh, the yeah. Dean's crush on Jeff. That, that's not a promise that he keeps. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So. They go to the first, so we go to the gymnasium, the first round of the debate, Annie finishes her, whatever, her portion of the debate and does this kind of very stale, like, you know, slamming the fist on the open hand Mm -hmm. to punctuate the point. And then Jeremy Simmons, the character who's the, you know, lead debater for uh, City College comes up, makes this great point where he's referencing Franz Wickmeyer and all this kind of, or that might be later. But anyways, he makes this great point. Uh, the I should say the nature of the debate or the topic is, are human beings inherently good or evil? Mm-hmm. And Greendale is going to offer that they're inherently evil. City College is going to argue that they're inherently good. And so Annie makes her point. Jeremy Simmons makes his, then it's wingers time. And he's like, you know, takes off the microphone headset and is like, let's just talk here, folks. Like, you know, I'm Jeff Winger. What can I do? Goes and flirts awkwardly with one of the debate judges. That's kind of ick. And then like, you know, Mm -hmm. that's sort of weird. And then (laughs) one of my favorite, favorite all time moments of this show decides that the best way to discuss this would be to lead the entire gymnasium in an a cappella version of the Electric Light Orchestra's Evil Woman. Which and they do not explain. They kind of cut to a later point in the debate 
where this is already happening. So we have no idea what Jeff's justification was for this. No, you have no idea. But he's like, I think I have a way to like, you know, d- d- to discuss this. And he's leading them. And the Greendale fans are saying evil woman. And then he points to the City College fans and they're doing the little guitar riff. <laughs> they're doing it like acapella. So they're like, it's so good because you could just see a person like here's this on a grocery store or whatever and they're walking around and someone being like I mean I'm sure I've probably done this because I love that song we just and it's like it's also the falsetto like evil woman yeah. <laughs> I mean that's the, that's the only way you can say it and yes. they nail that they nail that <laughs> but anyways so then the judges give the score and it's 50 to 8 Jeff got no points and he got eight they're in trouble now gang and so they decide to study together to like really lock it down and study because now jeff's like involved you know and obviously wants to win and doesn't want to be second at anything um so i'll kick it over to you that leads to the scene with them them being annie and jeff studying in the study room yeah and so this is what we talked about before about like we know how this episode is supposed to play out that the stress of this endeavor and the intimacy of working to <laughs> yes. like one-on-one on this problem that they have to, you know, work far into the night because they're under a deadline is going to, of course, lead to chemistry. And I think it, yeah. what I like about this is that the show doesn't decide to just mock that expectation. They're like, oh no, there's actually something kind of fun to that formula. So let's do the formula, but then let's also hate the formula and talk about it. And I, I think that, that you can do both. And I think the show does both a lot. And it gives us, a, it gives us an insight into, you know, Jeff's character, Annie's character, but it mostly just gives us like funny, awkward moments more than character development. But then you also though, get the payoff that you would expect traditionally because they do kiss at the end. But as we talked about earlier, it's partly because the seed's been planted in Annie's mind by Shirley telling mm-hmm. her, hey, this was in this, you know, in this video, which again, Abed, the student of human character and a student of television, that's another meta. He knows mm-hmm. like, yeah, you, these two people have to kiss because that's how it happens. Yeah. Um, And they do kiss, but it's not because of like, you know, the getting to know each other through the pressure of like (laughs) cramming to find a way to win this tournament and they win and what else would they do but embrace and kiss. It's totally a device that Annie uses to win Mm -hmm. in a sense, proving her argument that human beings are evil twofold because as we'll get to Jeff is care is at the time holding Jeremy Simmons and drops him, but also because that was, you know, evil quote unquote for Annie to plot it that way to, you know, lead Mm. to this guy being dropped on his face, Mm -hmm. but also knowing that like part of her setting it up this way was not like the most, um, altruistic thing that's ever happened you know that's an interesting point that i hadn't considered so like maybe they could have won this debate by just going up there and being terrible human beings yeah exactly some of the great lines for jeff and annie there's this whole like after shirley says you're gonna kiss there's this like they're looking at each other and it's all you know But then they're talking about uh, what they need to do to win. And she's sort of like, Jeff, you just need to focus more. And he's like, yeah, and you need to be less like robot debater and mimics Mm -hmm. her like fist on the open hand. 
And then Annie lets her hair down. Yes, she does the hair like, down thing. Yeah, yeah. Like I look like a librarian. She takes the like sweater that she has wrapped around her neck off, lets her hair down. I mean, they're really leaning in on that. Like, yeah. here's the moment. And they're having fun with it. It is fun. And then she gets up to like kind of lean over his shoulder and look at whatever some argument from i think hobbs or something about like the nature of human beings is such that like can we really make moral judgments when they're just acting on impulse meanwhile her <laughs> cleavage is like right in jeff's yeah. face it's like heating up um and then they both decide like at that moment where you think like i said earlier you think they would just sweep all the books off the table and go for it right there in the study room they both decide that it'd be best if they if they study separately. And Annie <laughs> says, so we can be more reproductive. Uh, productive. And it's just like, it's so good. It's so good. Because that's so... <laughs> I mean, come on. Nobody makes a Freudian slip like that. It's just so funny. That that scene was has my like fav, favorite moment from this episode. When they decide that they need to study separately... And Jeff just gets up and walks away and leaves all of his stuff on the table. And Annie says, like, oh, you forgot your phone. And without even turning around, he's just like, oh, I can get another one. And <laughs> keeps walking. As he's walking out the door of the study room, you're right, doesn't turn around. And I love that he's like, his voice is like gone up an octave or two. Yeah. Yes. I can get another one. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, that too, so to your point, and I love it's like they just play into these expectations and what that tension would be like and what would happen in other TV shows and sitcoms we've seen. I mean, it's just, it's, it's classic community, just mm -hmm. like. You think that it's going to go this way. We're going to have fun with it. We're going to break kind of the mold right at the last second or just do like a different resolution of it. And then you think it's done. And then at the end, in the final debate scene, they do have a kiss. Mm -hmm. So the way the final debate scene plays out there. So they're doing the debate thing on stage and Simmons makes uh, comment I think is this where he mentions the German poet Franz Wickmeyer and it's something about uh, like pure falling snow and like human beings as he's like whatever and he's like good. tearing up and the audience is like completely buying into to what he's saying and he's tearing that, up yeah and that's the comment that Jeff kind of uh, latches on to when he has actually studied for debate and is serious about it and ends up in response quoting Jesus and making it a really dramatic reveal that that's who he's quoting um, exactly. to, to kind of checkmate uh, Simmons's <laughs> quote. Um, so that's, that's also the, like the trope, right? That we're like, okay, now the debate is heating up. This rivalry is real. And we know how that works, right? Like it's it's not just like a debate thing, but this would be the same kind of thing in like a sports episode or like any kind of competition episode. We're like, oh yeah, this is the part where the music gets louder because we're getting serious. Well, and also Simmons has referred to him as LA Law and told him that he's all steak and no sizzle and like- No, he's big, sizzle and no you know, steak. Yeah, also, sorry, what did I say? Yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. All <laughs> sizzle, yes, thank you. All sizzle and Otherwise, no steak. Otherwise, it's just like raw meat. <laughs> yeah, and it's- That it's, doesn't make sense. <laughs> 
<laughs> but it's yeah but the whole thing is like you used to be this lawyer this hot shot lawyer it's all for mm-hmm. show and at one point earlier in the show he's like singing the, the evil woman melody like making fun of jeff for being the hot shot mm-hmm. lawyer but he's a loser or whatever so yeah exactly you have all of that building up to this moment so jeff gets up there and is just like yeah look he's quoting franz vickmeyer <laughs> But here's a quote for you. There is none so righteous, not one. <laughs> and he goes, you know, maybe Simmons is quoting Franz Vickmeyer, but I'm what's he say? He says something like, I'm just, you know, giving you a line from a simple desert handyman mm-hmm. named Jesus. At which point Shirley goes, <laughs> Oh, that's nice. <laughs> Bombs like surely yeah. loves it, but yeah, he throws out a simple desert handyman named Jesus, and yep. it's like debate is on. And then we go to yeah. the montage of them like say it's like close ups of their mouths and their faces as they just and like Professor Whitman gets cut in with that being like rebuttal counterpoint. Well, yeah, I was going to say like yeah. they even have fun with the montage because they just start saying the point of the scene instead of like expressing it through realistic dialogue (laughs) exactly they're just giving you the notes yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) exactly exactly no it's so well done so they're all on the debate stage and they're like conferring amongst their teams and so here is a point we have yet to mention but i mentioned this now because i think you and i go into these shows or our our podcast i should say generally we assume people have watched community yeah because this pod isn't I mean, not that Otherwise, it can't be this for would be people, nonsense. but yeah, yeah. But, but it's obviously we're assuming you've watched the show and you love it. And so you already know like what's happening in the show. It's just our way of thinking about these episodes. So Jeremy Simmons character is in a wheelchair. And I do want to talk about that in a moment because I have some, well, just some questions about that. Not about him being in a wheelchair, but how the show handled it. Mm-hmm. But just to finish the, like the show plot points. So he has a gambit, which Abed calls out as a gambit, but he decides the way to win this for City College to show that human beings are good, he's going to ramp up the speed on his motorized wheelchair, then abruptly stop. That will launch him into the air, and we'll see he's, he, his gambit is, Winger's going to catch me. Mm-hmm. So he absolutely, so that's what happens. He pushes the or you know drives the wheelchair forward abruptly stops he flies in the air winger catches him and he says simmons says he hates me but he caught me therefore Mm -hmm. man is good case in point Mm -hmm. this guy can't stand me he's my opponent he wants to beat me but he saw me in danger and he caught me Mm -hmm. then of course annie's response as she thinks about it quickly you know looking around she's like well, I guess I'll give Jeff a kiss. And I mentioned this in a previous pod we recorded. Allison Bree goes in for that kiss with such, like, she's such a gamer. I've said that, like, she just, like, <laughs> like the episode where she's not wearing underwear and she's in the, like, hospital gown. Yeah. Or, like, she's just, she just goes in for it. Yep. Jeff, of course, drops Simmons. She stops the kiss and says, he being, you know, winger was horny, so he dropped him. Therefore, man is evil. Greendale gets uh gets voted the winners <laughs> or whatever. And then like the great, like overly done, 
um, celebration ensues where it's like this yes. was a debate. Nobody would actually be there, but suddenly everybody's <laughs> raging. At one point, great line. Uh, Professor Whitman is like, you know, all like huzzah and like getting yeah. into it. And Dean Pelton looks at Simmons and is like, eat that, Simmons, like as he's <laughs> lying there on the ground. But then as they're walking out, uh, Professor Whitman says, let's take this bacchanalia outside full moon tonight. <laughs> and he's walking out with Dean Pelton and I think the the um, the mascot. So, by the way, to go back to mm-hmm. the previous ver- um, conversation, or Danny Pudi is not the mascot because they're both in the same. Oh, because they're both here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, although I do think it was Danny Pudi in that earlier <laughs> episode. Anyway, but so he's like, yeah, let's take this Bacchanalia. Professor Whitman says, let's take this Bacchanalia outside full moon tonight. But I don't know if you noticed this, Sandy. The trophy he's holding is like, I mean, I can't, I can't even think of an object that it would be. It's like as big as a coffee mug. Yeah, it's, it's like a miniature a, trophy. Yeah, it's this little ass trophy. By the way, even more impressive is the sign in the background that says what the event is. It's the Intercollegiate Debate League Division Three Championship Series. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the sign says in the gym behind them on stage. But so, so there is no way that there is another school in this division. Like it's just City College in Greendale. <laughs> exactly. And division three. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just, yeah, it's hilarious. So all of this ensues. Britta thanks Pierce for the help of smoking. She explained she went outside, you know, to get a smoke break when the when the competition was getting tight or whatever. There's And she says, you're a genius to Pierce, which then... Abed, that was another part of like his his movies being prescient or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it all ends then with Winger, with Jeff and Annie, and they how do they say goodbye? And they call back to an earlier episode or to an earlier part of the show when they were having that awkward goodbye from their study session. They go to maybe hug, but maybe shake hands. And mm-hmm. it's like one of them goes to shake hands, one of them goes to hug, and Jeff pats her on the head. So they do that bit again at the end of the show. And Annie's like, just pat me on the head. <laughs> Which I thought was great. She just owns it. She's just like, yeah, just it's awkward anyway. Just just do something completely demeaning and demoralizing and pat me mm-hmm. on the head like a child. Or a it's it's also their antidote to the tension between them. <laughs> it is. It's like a total. What's the only way we can break this sexual tension? I'll just pat mm-hmm. you on the head because there's like nothing sexual about that. You can't move on from that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But now I want to talk about Simmons' character. Yeah. So Simmons is in a wheelchair and I struggle with this because there are things that they do with his character and his being in a wheelchair that they intend for comic effect that I cannot lie. I laughed at Mm -hmm. not because Simmons is in a wheelchair, but because what they did was funny to me. Namely, when he goes to launch himself out of the wheelchair at the end there in that gambit, you can see his jacket like being pulled (laughs) at the shoulders because he's clearly in wire. I mean, it's such a like, they've got this guy wired up in a harness sort of thing. And they make a lot of that moment. Like it's in slow-mo, they got multiple angles. He's executing this like perfect arc. And the expression on the actor's face who's playing Jeremy Simmons is perfect. Aaron Himmelstein, I think is his name, but it is great. 
And you're right. And look, I mean, literally, I just laughed right now at your description of it and clap because it, it's, it's that he's funny. doing this perfect arc. It's slow-mo, the <laughs> angles. You're right. And then later when Annie goes to give Jeff a kiss and Jeff drops Simmons, the actor just does a like a dead drop right on his face. And you can see his face like hit the stage. It is impressive. Like, he just goes flat down and just <laughs> lays there. I mean, it's, ama- it's amazing. So the physical comedy is funny. The filming of it is funny, but it comes at a cost because they're using Simmons' disability and particularly the physical apparatus of the wheelchair to create that humor. And I just don't know what to make of it. I know we talk a lot about some of like the racial commentary with the show and, but this I struggled with and I thought it was different because I thought watching it again, it made me very uncomfortable. I think they could have had Simmons be Simmons and pull some sort of gambit without him needing to be in a wheelchair. I thought it was almost an easy and cheap way to set that up. And I don't, know that the commentary was necessarily like a very astute or aware insofar as how um, disabled characters and peoples are are portrayed. Whereas the race commentary, I think sometimes in community is very much like you expect these people of color, these characters of color to be these tokeny characters, but we're going to break that and challenge that. And I don't know that that applied here. Um, and before I turn it over to you, Sandy, to hear what you have to say about that, I'll just say I am I'm not someone who is part of a disabled community. I don't even really know like the appropriate way to talk about this. I certainly don't mean to offend anyone. And I'm certainly not trying to offer any answers or any great, you know, any particularly astute or great commentary myself. All I can say is watching it again, 12 years later, I just felt really uncomfortable and thought it was kind of cheap and they could have done it completely differently. Like they didn't need Simmons to be a disabled character. I think so. A couple of things. Um, I think there's something to be said for him not needing to be a disabled character because any character could be disabled, right? It doesn't have to be baked into their, to their character. If they don't have to be on the show because the show really needs to have a disabled character, like that, that's not how this works. That's not how this works in real life. Um, people with disabilities, you know, work and live in every context. And, and as people who, you know, don't necessarily need to have their ability level commented on all of the time. So it's, it's complicated. Um, and talking about it is kind of fraught too, because I don't have a ton of personal experience with this. And also, you know, not that we'd expect everybody who does have personal experience with, with it to, to agree, but I think the kind of the other thing that's interesting here is like, do you remember feeling uncomfortable with it when you first watched the show when it was aired? No, but I, I would just say I don't remember my initial reaction to it at all, I think. Okay. And in fairness, that was literally in the fall of 2009. Like, you know, I was watching the show, as we've talked about, when it was first airing, like on, you know, must-see TV. So I really can't comment. I, I just don't remember much of my initial um, reaction to this show. Although the one thing I remember is I loved this episode then, and I love it more mm-hmm. now because I do think it's a great episode. This part of the, or this, you know, portion of it, notwithstanding this aspect of it, I should say, notwithstanding. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that 
our awareness of representation in media has changed a lot in, in the past decade. And things that didn't occur to me on first viewing, you know, 10 years ago do occur to me now. I think that we're all just more sensitive than we used to be. And that that's a good thing. And it often leads us into places like this where we kind of, we don't really know how to feel about it. We also don't really know how to talk about it. But I think like, as we've kind of discovered by doing this show is that the talking really brings us to places of understanding we would never get to by reading or just thinking. So I guess what I'm saying is like, I think we have to figure out a way to talk about these things that we don't know how to talk about, or we, maybe we just have to be more okay with the fact that we don't know, like we don't know how we're going to ultimately feel about this representation. We don't know how to talk about it in a perfect way, but we need to try anyway, and maybe be okay with that ambiguity of not knowing. What do you think? No, yeah, no, I mean, that's well said. And I think, you know, I think you're right. I mean, I think as far as our approach to some of these discussions in our pod the most we can do is just say i'm not really sure how to discuss this sometimes and and <laughs> you know and i think so you're right in terms of our um our podcast itself but I also think in the larger context i think you're right that just generally um socially speaking and we've seen a lot of this over the last couple of years particularly around racial inequities or discussions of racial injustice systemic racism i think sometimes the best thing to do is just ask the questions you want to ask, express, you know, your, your view on things and, and dialogue with people and just be mm -hmm. open to hear other things and hope that everybody's just, you know, in some sense, open to just express themselves and then have a dialogue to push the conversation forward. And I think you're right. One of the things we've talked about a lot is, you and I talking about this, we're going to reach a different understanding or be in a different space to express our like confusion and our questions than we would just watching the show and then or, or not even just watching the show, but just reading or whatever, like engaging in that more academic, you know, sort of approach to things. I say academic just because, again, that's like the life we're in or whatever. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I think that's interesting and that I thought about with what you were just saying Again, it goes back to watching the show Community through a different lens than I did. So again, you know, I can't mm -hmm. really tell you how I felt about it 12 years ago, but definitely watching it now, I watch it differently. And though I think this is a great episode and very funny, there was definitely a discomfort for me. Even coming into recording today, I was like, oh, I don't know how to discuss this because I think mm -hmm. it's wrong. I don't think they should have done this. And I don't, and I think it's an unnecessarily tokeny disabled character that doesn't do anything to advance discussions around like how we view or treat disabled people in society. Whereas some of the stuff they do with race, I do think is very clever and completely opens up those doors of like kind of like we were saying with jeff and annie and their sexual tension it's like oh see you thought we were going to go in this direction with it but we did this completely different thing that other shows haven't done and wouldn't do and i think it's very clever and very interesting the way they do that um and can be very critical in a good way you know of yeah, our expectations it, it helps you realize that you had expectations exactly exactly yeah. 
Um, again, the line, the line I always go back to is when there's um, an older black woman in the, I think it's the first episode or second mm-hmm. episode um, and in the cafeteria. And <laughs> Jeff says something like, oh, sorry, I've been trained by TV to think that an older black woman is like this cosmic voice of wisdom. <laughs> That's not the exact line or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that when we did that episode and I've talked about it a couple of times since so probably boring listeners because I mentioned that line a lot, but I think that's a great um, microcosm and example and demonstration of what we're talking about, how this show handles race. And when we get to the next episode, uh, environmental science, there's um, uh, a couple lines that mm-hmm. I want to talk about around the, the race conversation, but this was different for me. And, and I just, um, I thought watching it again, this really falls flat. Like it's, it's, there's some funny stuff with the physical comedy, but that comes as a real price for me, at least as a viewer, that makes me feel even uncomfortable with the fact that I laughed at it. And maybe that's where I'll leave it is like, I just, I don't know. I feel like, um, yeah, not so good with myself, I guess now, you know, <laughs> I was just like, no, I don't know. Well, and humor is complicated and I think it's, it's okay to have like a critical relationship with something that you also love aspects of. And I think it's important that we recognize, you know, one that like, Hey, this is a sitcom and how seriously do we need to take it and how perfect does it need to be in order to have value? Um, But two that um, there is no like stamp of approval for a joke that that means that it's wholesome and good and okay. Um, And that the things we find funny are complicated and that, that that's just how humor kind of works. And it is, I, I guess, like, if you're going to take risks with humor, you're occasionally going to get it wrong. No, it's well said. It's well said. Maybe we'll leave it there simply. And that's not to, you're right. It is. It's a complicated thing, humor. And your natural reaction to laugh at something is a complicated thing. And it sometimes opens some windows about your own psychology and what you think <laughs> is funny or appropriate to laugh at, you know? Yeah. But what, what else, what's good about that is that it led both of us to this discussion and this kind of like critical introspection of ourselves and why we're laughing at something and what, how we feel about the fact that we laugh at it. And I think that's, that's kind of what we're learning from doing this show is that like we get a lot out of it personally just from having these discussions about something that you could really dismiss as meaningless as a sitcom. No, it's true. And selfishly, not just for myself, but for us, like, I hope that there are those kind of growth opportunities in the, you know, I mean, yeah, this is a Mm -hmm. conversation I wouldn't otherwise have and a way that I reflect on myself and what I find funny, or at least found funny in this episode in a way that makes me uncomfortable and uncomfortable with myself and uncomfortable with a conversation that I'm not, like really aware of how to have, because Mm -hmm. I feel like I don't, like I said, I don't know the vocab, I don't know like how to talk about this, but I would also say too, I think it's healthy in the sense that, I mean, you and I love this show and it's also sometimes good to just be critical of something you Mm -hmm. love. Have you said like with your, your, um, again, your great point on humor, like in the broad sense or, you know, like in the, um, like the philosophical sense, like what is funny and what makes us laugh. You're right. Like you can have a critical relationship to that. And so I also think it's good. And this is not to pat us on the back for having this conversation, but a lot Mm -hmm. of these episodes, I just love so much and they're funny. I just want to talk about what's amazing in these episodes (laughs) and why I think the writers are great and it's such a great show. And then talk about like the characters and the character um, Mm -hmm. development. Cause I think a lot of our pods, you and I, we just, we really look at the character development 
development and mm-hmm. like what the jokes do for the show. And we've obviously, we talked about the world building and this was an opportunity. And I don't know, you know, if I've never necessarily like, I don't know, handled it or approached it correctly. And I apologize if, again, if, if I, if anyone feels like I didn't or I, or I offended anyone, but it was important for me to say, this is actually a moment where I'm a little like, I kind of feel gross about this. It's kind of squirmy. Yeah. It's just like, I don't think this was cool. <laughs> you know, yeah. like this wasn't cool. And um, I would like to think that given a chance to do this episode again, maybe they would rethink this. Um, Well, thanks. Thanks for talking about that stuff, Sandy. I, f- I feel sort of awkward now doing like an abrupt shift, but we got to wrap up the show. So I thought we'd uh, <laughs> real quick before maybe we mention um, our favorite part of the show, our favorite line. We often do that. Um, I thought I'd kick it over to you to talk about the coda. This is a fun one because we get some behind the scenes look at Abed's uh, film project about the group. <laughs> um, wait, do we have a title for Abed's film project about the study group? No, no, I don't think it is. I think it's called like Cool Abed Films and it, that's just sort of like a general title or his production company or something. Oh, I would love to know what he actually calls the show. But so we're, <laughs> we're in a scene where Troy is helping Abed behind the scenes. And so it's Troy yeah. and Abed coaching the actors playing Troy and Abed. <laughs> yep. Yep. As they do the discotheque rap They're in Spanish. That was one yes. of the first codas. So yes. we're doing the whole like the Aranya of the discotheque or whatever rap with like the beatboxing. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So they're so they're taking that another meta moment. They're taking that coda that we've already seen for a previous episode and mm-hmm. coaching the actors that play them in Abed's cool films about like Greendale life or whatever <laughs> um, as they rap that same rap in Spanish. Which I think like really gets to like, okay, so we're in episode nine of season one and we are already calling back to a weird thing they did, but with like two more layers of absurdity piled on top of it. Like this show takes a left turn into weirdness so fast. And I love that. <laughs> it is. It's, it is. I mean, you're right. There's like, there's, there's more layers to this. Cause it's, you've already know that in this episode that Abed's making these films. Now he's got the actors that played him and Troy and they're coaching them through a scene that they've already done. But the whole thing about, <laughs> Uh, tr- or Abed's films is that they're supposed to be predictive. Yeah. But now they're just going back and filming something they've already done. I mean, it's amazing. The other thing is Troy calls for a cut and he's like really pissed off, like oh, angry so director. Good. They go have a sidebar, they come back and uh, Abed's is just like, just have fun with it. And then he says, take 36. <laughs> and I love the fact that they went like David Fincher or whatever, like, you know, like a hundred <laughs> takes until like, yeah, until you get something out of it. Um, yeah. But I love this idea that like, they were so committed to this that they have 36 takes. And um, Donald Glover. So he is not really in this episode very much. That's true. But right. I absolutely love his part as the angry, frustrated director, because it's so like, it's so out of character for Troy. Um, and it's, it's, delivered so well like he gets to say like five words or something to get this across and you know exactly this yeah (laughs) you you can empathize with this director like he's only got like three seconds to convey this to you but you know exactly how this entire day 
has gone on this project by the way Donald Glover delivers those lines. I love it. They asked him, do you hate this? And they're like (laughs) unpaid dudes at a community college, like doing these for videos for someone in a, you know, a a film class. Yeah. (laughs) Do you hate this? I love it. Um, So real quick, before we wrap up, did you have a favorite part of the show? I'll go first. If you don't mind, I thought that some of the lines. um, So basically this is stuff that happens on the stage. But I think it's before the first time Jeff goes up to for the debate, Professor Whitman looks at him and says, little trick for achieving the proper competitive mindset. I always envision the opponent having aggressive sex with my mother. <laughs> now, why that would give you the appropriate competitive mindset, oh, no. because one, that's just even saying that in our pod is just like, oh, gross. And also that would just throw you off and it would... That that can't be the right psychological mindset of the <laughs> opponent somehow having something over you. Like, like, yeah, no, not right. Um, but then I also thought Dean Pelton was great in the background of some of these when Simmons is giving his first or like some of his debates, they show Dean Pelton in the background and he's just kind of like, like nothing and (laughs) i thought a lot of the background work was really Mm -hmm. good and another scene um or another part from one of those scenes is when the basketball team comes out um (laughs) professor whitman says my zooks what kind of jackassery is this (laughs) um so yeah i just thought a lot of the kind of like whitman and pelton like background Mm -hmm. lines or sort of like facial gestures i thought was great uh pelton in particular just had like some some really funny like facial and physical gestures in the background like during the heated debate moments that I thought were really good yeah I I love when they start to give Dean Pelton more airtime yes yes and we should say it's it's not unnoticeable at this point of the of the show season nine or sorry episode one season nine that Dean Pelton isn't as much a part of the show as you remember him as being because Mm -hmm. by the end of the show he's so much a part of the cast Mm -hmm. Oh, he's part of the cast, but you know what I mean. It's it's like yeah. this is some stuff with Dean Pelton, and you're like, oh, Dean Pelton or whatever. This like, is how we get to know Dean Pelton. <laughs> this is how we get to know Dean Pelton, but it's a slow trickle of Dean Pelton until you mm-hmm. get into like seasons, you know, maybe three, four, and beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have a part of the show that that we didn't mention or that we did mention that was kind of a favorite moment for you? Um, well, I love the moment where Jeff says you can get another phone. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other <laughs> favorite moment I have that we haven't talked about yet is when. After their first attempt at the debate that goes really poorly for Greendale and gets interrupted by the super gay basketball team, Simmons is taunting Jeff and Annie out in the hallway. Um, He's singing Evil Woman and he's, you know, replacing it with digs about Jeff and Annie. (laughs) And (laughs) as he's doing this in like mid song, he um, moves up towards like a metal garbage can. And then he signals to one of his like henchmen. He's like, kick that for me. And I just love it so much. That's right, because Jeff was pissed and had kicked the trash can over. And then Simmons tells his debate partner, kick that. Yeah. There's also a part in there where he's getting closer and closer. Um, He's, you know, using the motorized wheelchair, kind of zigzagging through the hallway, as you said, doing the evil woman melody as he's singing like Jeff is a loser and all this kind of used to be a big (laughs) shot lawyer. And as he gets closer, you can see him laugh so naturally where the actor that had to have been one of those takes where the dude was like, I'm just 
this is so stupid and so bizarre <laughs> that like I just that it seemed like a very la- natural real laugh from the actor mm. like at the acting and the setup of the scene. <laughs> uh, one other moment I don't think we mentioned this, but we talked about how Troy wasn't in this very much, but Troy was very moved by Simmons because oh, when Simmons was. does his second debate, Troy Troy is sitting there with the rest of the group on the Greendale side of the like stands, and he's all choked up, and he's like, "What that dude gets it." <laughs> <laughs> the fact that Troy wasn't in this very much, but um, had a couple great lines, but also mm-hmm. that for whatever reason, he seems to be very on board with the worldview that Simmons is espousing, <laughs> that like human beings are inherently good. I thought that was kind of a funny, like small thing, but it says a lot about Troy, you know, again, the Tao of Troy, that Simmons it gets it. <laughs> you know? um, all right. Well, I guess that's an episode. Sandy, thanks for joining me. Um, as always, thanks for your insights. Thanks for discussing um Simmons character and you know how we how we felt about that and yeah I really appreciate the conversation today we will be back soon enough with season one episode 10 I believe the title of that episode is environmental science thanks everybody for listening and Sandy thanks again for the insight and the conversation I appreciate it thanks it was fun as always our theme music is happy dance by Cedric Galkey Please subscribe to Streets Behind wherever you get your podcasts.